This is the moment. This is where, where you wanted to stop. You wanted me to say, gonna... "Oh, don't don't read anymore. It's okay." <laughs> no, I was gonna say there there will be spoilers on life, death, sci-fi. Sci-fi. This is life, death, sci-fi. Chris Herzberg. I'm speaking with my co-host, a man who's never been affected by a restless red light. A man with no time for the flora e fauna, but plenty of time for the factory. A man who's traveled 50 kilometers per second to get here. A man who had never let a fit of madness draw him under the hammer. Eric Bushland, how you doing? It's a pleasure to be here talking about the Red Star by Alexander Bogdanov. Yeah, I was saying uh, Bogdanov. The Red Star by Alexander Bogdanov, 1908. The purpose of this was to read science fiction about Mars from the very start of science fiction about Mars. This is our third book, right? In uh, chronological order, starting back uh, pre nineteen, pre twentieth century, eighteen ninety eight, something like that. Yep, Edgar Rice Burroughs. Hey, then we've got a bunch of uh, Russians who are writing science fiction. And should we take a moment to say that we're? I mean, not we don't get too political here, though. This is a political novel, but we happen to be recording this during the same week that Russia has invaded. The Ukraine? Yeah. Or are you shaking your head at me? Uh, <laughs> like, this is, it's, it's so terrible. I, I can't even watch the news anymore because of that. Yeah, me too. This is unverified. They were saying that Ukraine has a long past with Russia and that when Lenin, which is part of this story, got in power because of a policy mistake in agriculture, Three million people died in the Ukraine because of starvation. Oh. Yeah, I was reading a Maureen Dowd editorial. She was just talking about how. Yeah, she was just talking about how it's such it kind of this, this more of a wired experience, right? That this is different in the past with say Stalin or Mao. It was so isolated those countries, and now, you know, given the the power of some of these leaders, it just it it's so affects everyone around the world and just pulling up reddit it was looking at a few things on there just the, the sort of uh news feed with you know anonymous doing this and there were just there were so many so many people rec- you know, making their own recordings and sharing those and it just seems it, it definitely has a feel it feels different than anything i've experienced in my lifetime anyway yes this war tension and COVID. It's a pandemic encompassing the world. It's a crazy time we're living in. Really is. Maybe a time to, I guess, not so different than Bogdanov. He's experiencing this period. Yeah. Period of real change and kind of revolution. And he's trying to look forward in some way. As a reader, this book was a biography, a time period. I was a bit of a time traveler. Bogdanov, I think, is a big, a bit of a time traveler. But I had to find out about some of the Russian history that I, I really didn't care about. I'm not the audience for this book. My purpose was to squeeze out the science fiction 
and I honestly slogged through the politics of this book. And there were, it had, the book was three-quarter politics. It was written for another audience. It was written, written for revolutionaries to keep their eye on the utopian prize that they could be living, I think. Yeah, I struggle with that too. We're clearly not the audience for this. And I don't know that it really transcends time enough to for me to find it really that riveting. Not a lot of plot for the most part. That's written for that pre-Russian revolution audience. I think it was published in what, 1908, if I remember. And the Russian revolution is like 1917. And I'll say this, I appreciate that Bogdanov was writing fiction. <laughs> so here's a guy who was you know, really into, into science and kind of classification. And yet, I don't know from anything I read that it was, he explicitly stated this, but he still took the time to appeal in some ways to a mass Russian audience through a novel. It sounds like neither of us loved it as a novel. I appreciate the fact that he wrote a novel to try to reach the masses. I think that's cool. Yeah. And he had messages. He had science fiction messages. He had social messages, the utopian part of it. This guy, I think, was a genius. He was the primary guy who invented the Bolshevik political party. He was with Lenin. And who was the other guy? Was it Trotsky? Who shaped Russia. And they had these, at, at least at the beginning, these kind of utopian, socialistic hopes for the world. And I appreciate that. At the same time, things were happening in his world. Like Einstein publishes his relativity theory in 1905. Henry Ford starting his assembly lines. And, and things are happening in, in science and the political world that were really big, I think. I do think the premise is really interesting because, uh, say, Marx's idea that the sort of socialist utopia in some form would emerge after capitalism. And so I think to take, say, okay, that's what we're going through on Earth. And to say on Mars, they're already past that point. So yeah, it's this, this kind of future. Yeah, I think, that was, I think that was clever. Martian. Yeah, just to say, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set this up on Mars and I'm going to put this, it's going to be a the socialist utopia there. And that's the future of Marx's vision. I thought that was clever. That was a good idea. Yeah. Politically, I think many people read this story and something more. It, hmm. it was interesting. It definitely was propaganda. Yeah. Oh, do you I, agree I, with that? Do you well, agree? I... Yes and no. I think it works as propaganda in a lot of ways, it, it maybe in, in its optimism. I read a few critiques that uh, suggested maybe it was a bit more dystopian and that there was uh, another reading of it is that he was, it's a little, uh, I don't know if subversive is the right word, but he was actually in the vein of sort of Orwell or somebody being critical of, of some aspects of socialism. Yeah, I, he disagreed with his buddies. I think like 
animal farm at the end of the book, or was it an article I read that they match the characters in the story with the real people? <laughs> and yes, he did slam, really slam lead and, and the, the people took the power away from him. Yeah, he didn't like that. Bogdanov's inner message by Lauren R. Graham was the one I was looking at that raised questions about why on Mars their favorite type of play, type of drama was tragedy. I heard that too. There's a lot of tragedy on Mars. How to pronounce his name? Is it Leonid, the main character in Red Star? So he's chosen, makes this trip. Right. We should say something about the ride there because I thought, I guess this is this there. <laughs> <laughs> the the Atheronef. Is that the spaceship? Is that you pronounce I would, that? I would say close enough. Yeah. A combination of nuclear rocket and anti gravity device described as almost spherical, being flattened at the lower end, rather like Columbus's egg. Such a shape, of course, provided for the greatest volume with the least amount of materials and the smallest cooling surface, made mostly of aluminum and glass. I love that it was I, kind of trans, transparent. You could envision them flying through, almost like the Jetsons or something, flying yeah. through Me too. space. Me too. Yeah. They're developing an airliner right now that has that technology where the cameras make the fuselage transparent to the riders. Oh, really? So, you, so you're sitting there and you're looking right out the whole side of the plane. So a window. No way. Yeah. Oh, and the invisible airplane has been around a long time for science fiction. Wonder Woman's. Oh. Yeah. Was there, what am I trying to think of? Like a space ghost or something? What was that? Space ghost. Yeah. yeah. So it's been, that's been around for a long time, but maybe... This was the first invisible. Could be. Yeah. Yeah. It's early. One hour flight. And what can we say about Mars? So Mars is at this point, it's this socialist utopia where they have a collective education, kind of non-gendered, which was interesting. They, everybody chooses unprompted, right? How long they're going to work at each place and for how long they constantly switch factories so that they don't get too exhausted at any one of those. I, I love um, that idea because think about it. In, in our profession, we teachers in the United States. I, I know people who stayed in the same building for 35 years. They haven't left. And I will say that I think this took a, a toll on them. And yeah, I wonder if, if they moved around like this describes, if I wanted to go to Florida, Hawaii, I wanted to go to Missouri, I could do that. Rejuvenate. Yeah, that, yeah I, I agree with the rejuvenation aspect of it. I wonder, it's, it, in this case, it's not like they were going from keeping the same sort of occupation or task and moving from place to place. I and mean, they're doing a completely different job. 
And I think there's something in there about just the number of accidents that happen. And I got the feeling, and maybe I think this is a little bit dystopic, was that there were a lot of accidents. And, they, and, I, and somewhere they have something about a sort of suicide ward or something in the hospital. So there is, and watching all those tragedies, there is a sense that that life and say the individual isn't as valued as much. It's, it's this individual versus the collective. And it's, it seems like through that choice, he's trying to marry the con resolve that conflict in some way. Well, there's choice for choosing to do all this, but I guess that's one of the critiques of say Marxism is it's hard for me to envision. And that's probably because I've grown up in, you know, this, this capitalistic world for the most part, it's hard for me to envision how that would really work. Well, certainly not in the United States. Yeah. It's what utopia works well. It, has there ever been a real utopia that actually lived for more than a few years? Not that I'm aware of. So is utopia what these guys were after just an impossible dream? So what do they call it? An animal farm, like sugar candy mountain, maybe. Yeah. So what have I got here? We talked about the motive to write the, the book. It was a popular book. He wanted to re-energize the discouraged revolutionary, crushed in the revolution. Just like you said, it works on Mars. Yes, it can work on Earth too. That's not science fiction. When they talked about taking off and landing, they really did take an effect to some of the mathematics that goes in and involves the takeoff and landing of different planets and how they move in space and how the rocket moves in space. I, I, I thought there was some thought to that. So I was impressed. Yeah, I read this on a pretty cool website called Technovel, you know, Technology. Okay. And uh, they noted how Bog Bogdanov takes a shot at the Columbia and uh, the projectile vehicle approach of H.G. Wells. Mm -hmm. He says, he, this, I mean, this is in, in Red Star, he writes, as for the cannon shot method, I've read about in your science fiction novels. It is, of course, simply a joke because according to laws of mechanics, there's practically no difference between being hit by the shot and being inside the projectile at the moment it is fired, which makes sense, really. Yeah. <laughs> You're just going to be a bloody splat. You know, yeah, when you land no on the planet. No thanks. Yeah, we'll have to read uh, War of the Worlds at some point here, right? I think so. He's got this, what he was doing, he has a world view and he wanted that utopia on Earth, equality with workers, and his world view mixes in the, the socialism and the science together. He talks about quantum mechanics and the nature of reality. I think Bogdanov was after the same thing scientists, quantum mechanics scientists are after now, is the theory of everything. Was that his theory of tectology, I think? Yeah, Science he had a couple of things like thinking, that. Yeah, organization. Yeah, he had this, I can't remember where I read this, maybe it was that same sort of essay, but... 
had a deep-seated belief in the rational, I'm quoting your deep-seated belief in the rational power of systems that prevented him from descending into the depths of social pessimism. There's not too much science fiction in here, but there's cool things like I read that the Red Star and the Red Star of the Revolution, that's where it came from. That's, they took that Red Star from Bogdano. Oh, is that right? It was the other way around? I think so. Oh, I didn't read that. Yeah, that's fascinating. I assumed he co-opted the, the Red Star, mm -hmm. yeah. Or, or maybe that even could have been the inspiration for the novel itself. We'll have to, we'll have to do some search on that. Yeah, he talks about the planet as if it's a star, I think, a number of times. Yeah, I thought a few sci-fi kind of elements. Mentions clothes that were made of synthetic material, which I think was not, I don't know if that was, I don't think anybody was wearing clothes of synthetic material hmm. at the time this was written. At the same time when he went to work in that factory and he was cutting cloth with laser kind of things. Right. Way advanced. I mean, that I, I don't think that, pretty sure that hadn't been invented yet. Talks about the antimatter quite a bit when he's talking about propulsion and that, that whole idea of energy and power. They had a device for communication in space, some gizmos like TV screens, movie screens. Three-dimensional like, movies. Yeah, to see shows and stuff. On the ride over when he's all upset, is it, who's, who was it? Millie, the guy who died. Might have been Young, was it Young? Oh, who's the one that, who's the one that Ari? sacrificed himself to? I think it was Ari. No, it's, shoot, it's, it's, yeah, close to that. Anyway, the, the one who sacrifices himself, mm -hmm. he, I think that's the one. It could have been Nettie as well. Sacrifice uh, turns on a blue light to calm him down when he's really upset. That was oh. interesting. Yeah, the blue light to calm somebody down. And on the way, they're using this sort of telescope camera with, with mm -hmm. diamond. I didn't quite catch how that worked with diamond lenses and mm -hmm. kind of worked like a Polaroid where you where the it develops the film right there in front of you. And it's then cool. you can take that and expand that even more to see closer, which is. Again, where do you get that? Is he a time traveler? Google Maps, yeah. I found myself wondering, maybe he just got it from, uh, or maybe it's a translation thing, but I feel like, is, is it everyone we've read so far, starting with Princess of Mars? They all mention gondolas? Yeah, I was like, what's with sci-fi and air, an arrow gondola? Okay. It's just a more common term. Yeah, a more common term back then or something. Yeah, I don't know. I I struggled with some of the language, how it was put together. I'm sure that was part of the translation. When I watched a couple TED Talks on Bogdanov and Red Star and the revolution and everything, the people who were giving the lectures were Russian, and they were absolutely unemotional. They were stereotypic Russians talking about literature. And I went, oh, it was a very interesting look at a snapshot of 1908. 
Yeah. I mean, like you, I think to be real, like this is, it's one of those where I guess it's a pivotal moment. It's, it's outside of what I thought I would ever read because I hadn't really heard of it. And so that's expanded, I think, my knowledge in some ways. I, but I struggled and kind of slogged through it in <laughs> so many places. I don't necessarily need amazing writing, but then I need a good story. Or, oh. or I could be okay with a plot that's not riveting if it's great writing. And, um, and even the ideas themselves, I, I, I get it. Like you said, it's a different, it's aimed at a different audience. And I think if I were a Russian, a, a Bolshevik in 1909, I, I would have been riveted by this in a lot of yeah. ways. Yeah, I think so. Hmm. What, I, what did you? The Fountains of Paradise, where Arthur C. Clarke let his main character go. He died doing the things that he wanted to do. I guess it, it was a complete circle. And I felt that the same way with the second half of this book where Bogdanov let go of his character finally. It was a different ending than I thought, but I like the cosmic universe of it all. The only part that I found... That got me, I guess, maybe two parts. I like, I enjoyed, I didn't love it, but I, I, the idea when he was flying toward Mars, there's a little bit of excitement there for me, the description of the spaceship and all that. And then it wasn't yeah. really until the end when there's this argument between, forget their names, were, names were a little challenging and why he repeated many for, in, in two different books, strange, but Anyway, Sterney, which was which was this really serious kind of character, kind of mil military type, and he he's was, and, go ahead. He he was a James Bond evil villain. He wants right. to destroy the human race. We get this climax. Of the 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 novel have this debate about whether or not Martians should destroy Earth in order to save themselves and mine it of its resources and. The Sterney character is in favor of that, and Nella's arguing, Nella, right? Arguing against it. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Nettie or Nella? Yes. Too many ends. <laughs> Nella, Nettie. And, and then he, his protagonist, Leonid, kills him. Murders, yeah. Murders him in this rash act that kind of passes off as justified and premeditated in order to save the human race. And what do they do? They kick him off the planet. Okay. Yeah. Obviously, we wouldn't have the story otherwise, but they send him back to Earth. I mean, I found it interesting that he, it just seemed irrational to me and too extreme. I just didn't find that very plausible. I did find it interesting that he ends up in an asylum and had a little mm -hmm. bit of that dream, almost like a waking up in, a, in an asylum. It's all been a dream. Is it all real? Kind of yeah. feel to it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then he gets the the letter from Nettie. I mean, she comes to see him, right? In the end, I think that's what's happened there. She goes to Well, him. and he thinks something might be going on. And then he finds out that it is because it's her handwriting. So it's some evidence. What did you make of that sort of love story? <sighs> Uh, 
That's a good question. I, there, there wasn't, yes, the, okay, they worked together and then they fell in love because they had all of these connections and everything, but I didn't get the, okay, here, oh, here's a revelation for me. I really didn't get that the Martians were any different than humans. The author didn't convince me enough of the alien. They had a relationship. Okay, I'm not too, you know, freaked out about that, but I should have been. What bothered me there was early on, and again, in travel on the spaceship, this Ethero-Naf, whatever you pronounce Yeah, I like that. Just, yeah, we'll have to figure out what that's called. I think he made up that word, at least in my uh, just quick mm-hmm. flash research, Ethero-Naf. He describes them as grotesque, as monsters. He has these inner thoughts about how monstrous they are to him. And then it just seemed without any sort of transition. And maybe it's, I guess, what does that say about humanity that he needed some kind of connection or some sort of physical connection? I guess we don't really get that they were ever physical together, but that anybody who showed could speak the language, showed some sympathy toward him or care, then he immediately falls in love with that person or that Martian in this case. I, it just seemed too unlikely to me again. I, and, and I just wondered where, I, as a plot point, I, I just don't see... Here's somebody who's so interested in factories. It, it just doesn't seem to have a, a, any sort of romantic side to him at all. And then we have this love story as a subplot. Yeah. Okay. I, but I guess maybe that appeals to the masses. We might have consciously said this need there just needs to be a little like planetary romance here to make this to keep people interested. Romance always does do that. Authors use that all the time for something to keep their audience glued to their story. But in this case, in Alita, which was also a Russian novel about Mars, the love story in that was more special, believable in that I cared about what happened. This I didn't really care. Yeah, yeah. And in a, a Princess of Mars as well. I think for me, if we're ranking these in terms of planetary romance and how excited I am by them, I, we're on a downward slope here. I think each one has been less interesting than the previous. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, now you've got me thinking about interspecies romances. I'll have to Captain Kirk that one. I don't know. Yeah, this, yeah, Leonid was no Captain Kirk, that's for sure. It was more like a lot more Spock than Captain Kirk in this one. Yeah, I, I think so. I think so. One thing we haven't talked about is the, the canals. And in the 1870s, Giovanni, yeah, he coined the term can- canali, which means natural waterways. I just want to clear this up for all life death sci fi fans that the canals on 
Mars when they were first seen by this Giovanni guy? Natural waterways. We had to send up uh, rovers and robots to find out about that hundreds of years later, a hundred years later. I think so, it was a, like a translation error, right? Where yeah. It was canali, yeah. and then, yeah, people thought it was, like you said, canals instead of channels, right? Yeah. Which, how can we? How can we be so stupid and develop so many ideas around Mars on a translation error? Questions about how influenced he was by Rosette Schiaparelli and then this Percival Lowell, who I think was American in 1906, Mars and its canals. Trans, yeah, was writing about that. And then this Kurd at Lassowitz, I think German, who oh, was back in 1897, who talked about some kind of like bug-eyed monsters that I think he was the Perfect. one who wrote about them being green. And then Wells, possibly an influence, real late 19th century. Yeah. And the suggestion is that Bogdanov was reading these authors. Yeah, it seems like it. Had to be. When I knew we were going to talk about this, I have just thought about it and thought about it. And I think the best thing I can come up with is that it was a book written for an audience. Then later on, when we pick it up, we're not the audience. It's a struggle to read. Yeah, there was, what, 25 pages of background before before you got even into the story? It was a long introduction. Yeah, and I think that's a fatal mistake in some ways where... They, at least they say, if somebody's trying to write something, if you're trying too hard to kind of message things in a certain way and you forget about allowing the story to tell itself and develop, it, it just seemed like he had a real, he had something to say about, had a vision of a sort of socialist utopia and he wanted to get his ideas out there and to, just didn't allow other things to develop. I mean, there's moments where he says, uh, I'm just going to, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but I'm going to skip the flora and fauna and get right into the factories. It's like, no, I yeah. want to hear about the world. What are you seeing? Yeah. And if you were, yeah. if I'm with you and you're, you're the first human to arrive on Mars and this is a travel log and you're writing about it, I, you're probably going to talk about the flora and fauna, right? And the daily life of the people. Yeah. Yeah. And that didn't happen for us. It was, uh, it was, I was very short scientific novel a science fiction novel it was a long socialist book yeah so let's go to the after party bogdanov's death bogdanov's death did you read about that one of the things in red star that we find out is that the martians can live for a long time and the way that they're able to do that is through blood transfusions. Oh, right. Okay, yes, yes. Yeah, so that. he was interested in, uh, yeah. in you know, this idea. And uh, I mean, pretty common at the time for this sort of rejuvenating quality. That was a, a scientific device there. It that was, people yeah. on Mars were able to do this. I, I didn't and, even and, and, write and that it turns down. out in real, yeah, in real life, he ended up dying mm. pretty, pretty early. I don't even remember exact age, but he died... 1928, giving a blood transfusion to somebody young on himself to someone mm -hmm. younger who had uh, I can't remember what it was it yellow fever or something, and that was and, it. Yeah, yeah. What a way to go! But really, I guess somebody who really believed in very optimistic in his beliefs and died Good. and, and science for sure. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I bring that up because he planned a third novel and that poem at the end explains the plot or the idea of it. Yes. Yeah. Martian no. stranded on earth. The Martian stranded on earth, which is what that uh, show I recommended to you, Resident Alien. Oh yeah. Resident he's, Alien. It, it, spo- a little bit of a spoiler. Yeah. He's on earth. It's not a very nice alien either, which makes it funny. I think I, it doesn't sound like this one would be either pretty disgruntled with land crash landing on this planet mm-hmm. where things are not as good as they are on Mars. No so, one's as smart. Yeah. yeah. It sounded like it was going to be a real critique of the way things were in post Russian revolution there. Oh No, I, I just, this one's a struggle. This one's a struggle. It's hard. You feel like you want to, for all our listeners out there, you feel like you want to have this excitement and say, go read it. And, and, and maybe there's, there's little gems there that might appeal. For me, for me, it was the idea of the beginning, the beginnings of science fiction and where this is taking us in our world today. Still, now we have Russian and the United States space programs are adversarial, I think. Definitely this week, yeah. Yeah, still, after a hundred years, the genius of what he thought was going to happen in the world with the TV screens, the, the spaceships, antimatter. He seems to me like a time traveler who is sharing this stuff with us. And then where is he going to go? Where is his real time he, he came from? I don't know. Well, that's a thought. But I have something that you can clear up for me. Oh. We've already got c- pretty confused on Leonid, Manny, Nettie, Nella, Ari, Sterney. Nettie came in there a couple of times. I'm sorry. Is Nettie a man or a woman or both? I don't know. Oh, I think she, female Martian, but pretty androgynous, at least to him initially, because he couldn't tell. He, yeah, it, it wasn't clear to him early on when he first met her that mm-hmm. she was a so, she. So who is Manny's son? Manny's son. When they revealed that. Oh, yeah, that was with Nella, I think. Nella was the mom. Yeah. I think it was Nettie. Son Nettie. Who was Nettie? Uh, (laughs) Oh. Oh, So now I'm totally twisted. You're right. I went with it. It worked. It was fine. (laughs) Why did he do that? Yeah. One was written after the other. Yeah. I I don't know either. That's true. Yeah, that's right. There's that line. I am your father, Nettie. Oh, and I love that too. Like, okay, Star Wars is happening. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, was George Lucas reading Engineer Many? Probably. Yeah. I read that. Oh, what's his name? Oh, no. The guy, Ministry for the Future, who's the author of that? Uh, Kim Stanley Robinson. That he apparently, and, and I think we'll get there eventually, in his Mars trilogy, he has a character named after Bog, Bogdanov because he was inspired by Red Star in some way. Oh. Wait a minute. What novel are you talking about? About the Ministry for the Future. No, the, the author of that, yeah, Kim Stanley Robinson. Yeah. He has that Mars trilogy. The Mars trilogy is, you mean, is he's not the author for the uh, 
movie that turned into Mars with uh, Mark Wahlberg, is he? Is that the same one? Author? Not, Mark not Wahlberg? Are you thinking of, uh, you're not thinking about Martian, Mar- the Martian? Martian, yeah. Thinking oh, Martian. yeah, that's not uh, Mark Wahlberg, that's... Um, Weiss, something Weiss. No, it's... Oh, you're talking about the author? Yeah. Or the actor? Author. Weir, it's Andy Weir. Okay, thank you. Weird. Yeah, I think you were reading one of his, his latest. Um, yes. Interesting. Fun. Yeah, he's a great roller coaster ride. World savers. Nice. Yeah, the one um, Kim Stanley Robinson, Red Mars is the first oh, of okay. trilogy. Okay, okay. Yeah, 93. Like, like, for whatever. Yeah, we decided to go with the chronological thing here. So I'm, I'm eager. Like, I'm really eager to hit mid <laughs> 20th century here. Which kind of raises the question as we start to wrap up, if we're looking at the next few, the next one in chronological order that is pretty prominent is C.S. Lewis's Out of the Silent Planet. No way. I have never heard of that. Yeah, I don't like the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I've read his Mere Christianity, I think probably 20 years ago. I mean, I think... He's an interesting author. I didn't know he wrote sci-fi. So that interests me. I think we know he's a good writer anyway. Yeah. It's a trilogy. That's the first one in the trilogy. And it's a Christian fable in some ways. Mm. I don't know oh. what that means exactly. But that would be next in chronological order. And I'm happy to go for it. And then I think we're both excited about the next one after that, which is The Martian Chronicles by Ray Bradbury. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Martian Chronicles. What about the War of the Worlds? Is that said? I think they come here, though, right? So are we... Oh, I, I think see. we said... Yeah, I think we were setting this up. We said it's got to be... Because we talked about Stranger in a Strange Land or something, and we thought it's got to... We got to be on Mars to make it. Well, Red while we're talking here. about Strangers in a Strange Land, interesting that the Martians in that book had plans to destroy the world the earth too yeah because we weren't smart enough or they were going to get in their way or something they just destroy us just what's his name sterning said yeah the only way we can do this is by wiping out the humans it would be much easier for us we seem to have a real fear of the other a lot of those kind of coincide with the first well, Cold War, World Wars of that for the first half of the 20th century so it makes total sense that they would be People be really afraid yeah. of, of the other. The other. Yeah. If we can make them aliens, it's even better because they're not quite us yet. Okay. I'll look up C.S. Lewis. Yeah. Should we go for it? C.S. Lewis? Yeah. 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 A lot of his, I think, in Witch in the Wardrobe was a Christian kind of parable as well. I don't know. I haven't really looked at it. The one thing with C.S. Lewis... We're going to get a good story and it's going to be well written. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds good. I'm ready for that. I've been just eager. Yeah. I think when we look back at uh, a princess of Mars, I can't remember, is it a princess or the princess? But I think at least they're a princess. There was uh, with Burroughs, at least there was, um, it's a bit of a romp, right? It's this adventure. feels like an adventure. Not my, my, my favorite, but I could spend time in that world. And I enjoyed that. The last couple had been a struggle for me, but... Um, yeah, we don't want to go to those worlds. Hang on. I, I de- yeah, exactly. That is not my utopia in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> I, I do not want to be on Bogdanov's Mars. 
(laughs) bring me back to earth. Yeah. With all its flaws and diversity uh, and problems. Yeah. Yeah. But that's that utopic vision of factories and as a solution to so many problems. And I think we're at a place where we know that's not sustainable. The opposite. It's the opposite. We we just didn't know enough to use our resources in a gentle way that will sustain us. And now we're learning it too late. Who knows? Yeah. When you asked me, I think in the beginning, and this sort of echoes back, has there been a utopia on earth? And my thought there is, I said, no, my idea about utopia is probably a pretty quote unquote undeveloped place. It's some island in the South Pacific where it's uh, pretty warm most of the year. There's enough rain and uh, it's relatively undisturbed and it's island life with all its fruit and uh, catching fish. This is a Tobago ad. We're going to get a Travago business now. <laughs> yeah. The life is just about being with family yeah. uh, and your friends and hanging out on the beach and catching what you need to eat. And that sounds like a utopia to me. There it is. Yeah, I'd be happy to do that. We just have to get the other 7 billion people to agree. Yeah, we can't all live on an island in the South Pacific, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, so I, now yeah. we've, we've got the next book. Yeah, I think we're, we're pretty good. We couldn't have talked out. more about this book. I, I like talking with you, but talking about this book isn't just... There it is. That's it. No, I've been feeling like this has been draining on me, honestly, where I've been saying to myself, how do I get excited about this? uh, I found it such a struggle to get through. When you said you read Engineer Many, I was like, no. I I, I I could see it. But but you needed to you needed to get that ending with the cosmos and all of that stuff, I think. Yeah, I've done it. I read it. I feel like I'm going to have a hard time remembering much of any of this. And I probably could have pushed through a bit more and had more to say, but I, I just want to... It had me questioning the the concept of going theme by theme. <laughs> it's just like, this is what it might mean sometimes. Because there's been moments where like I picked up... I guess this would be... And I I picked up uh, Snow Crash. Right? Oh. Who, that's uh, Steve... Sti- Stevenson, yeah. Yeah, who wrote, which that, I haven't though, read. I mean, I've only watched Snowpiercer. He's the guy that wrote that. Oh. Yeah, and it, it's really, it's. I, I found it in this little, this is in Hawaii and Waikiki. The beaches are all supposed to be public access, but this one hotel there blocked off mm-hmm. their, the walkway because they didn't want to interrupt There's their infinity. One. Yeah, they, they didn't want to disrupt their infinity pool. So you have to cut back through this, go off through their bar through the kind of mall, the bottom of this, this tower, residential tower. Uh-huh. And then just as you can't, can't come back out, it was this horrible scene with just like 50 people in this pool, really crowded, just like steaming and frothing with uh, not really there. Yeah, they should have been, they weren't. And, and then we emerged, it was just as we, right before we get back on this little pathway, there's free library, one of those almost little kind yeah. of, wood built free libraries that you see in some cities and it's the strangest place for right and, I, and we're walking by and there's one book in there just one and it's neil stevenson's snow crash and i was like oh my Whoa. gosh this is for me yeah, yeah. it's grabbed it and, and i was loving it i read only 
it was like two days before we took off and I read oh just eight chapters, not that much of this book, but it was great. It was like really intense, just so full of energy, just the, just the antithesis of uh, Red Star in every way possible from the language to the plot to the energy i'm sure you would like it it was all based in this metaverse literally that's the word he uses i, I have read this book oh you've read it i have i thought you and i read it together but i guess no I i've just... never read it no we read we read neuromancer together oh. neuromancer and it's similar no that's gibson gibson yeah all right, yeah. I'm gonna. Have yeah, to I think look. that that could be what you're thinking of. They're William Gibson. They're really similar. I found this Stevenson one even more. I like both those worlds. They're the metaverse. Really, yeah, no, they have this sort of maybe maybe it's classified in that, but but like a, a steampunk kind of vibe to it that I liked. But I, I guess my the reason why I thought of that is because sometimes it's nice just to get excited about something and be able to just go with it, versus okay, I've got to stick with this because I brought. Uh, these books with me and I just couldn't get myself to read them on the holiday. I just, I just couldn't do it. I read some on the plane, but I, I just couldn't do it. Yeah. That, well, that's what's good about this podcast is because you're going to hear things that are super current and super good. Some of them aren't good. Some of them are made for like this book, the red star was made for a different purpose. Sprinkle with some science fiction. Yeah, and that's why we started this. We were just trying to get into some things that either either classics that we knew of but hadn't read or to try to expand our, our own sort of canon, right? Yeah, with science fiction. Where did we get these science fiction-y ideas? And now I can see where some of them are birthed and later on developed. So I'm fine with it. I, I don't know. I couldn't spend a career doing this. Yes, I have snuck in a couple of exciting novels in between two, just to do exactly what you said. It's read something that is so well written that I want to just keep reading it. Have to right. do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I'm just thinking about other right. episodes or something. I've got a couple of things to ask you. First, right. we're on Spotify. Two of my heroes, Joni Mitchell and Neil Young, have bounced out of Spotify because of Joe Rogan's bullshit. We're on yep. Spotify. Do we support Joe Rogan's bullshit? It, or does it not, man? I have mixed feelings about his bullshit. I haven't listened to him and so I only know what I've read here or there. John Stewart came out saying that he didn't think it was right, that it was fell under the spe free speech thing. And I respect John Stewart a lot. I assume mm -hmm. he knows enough to not just say that. I do think Joe Rogan is, is self kind of a self-described dumbass that doesn't know much and brings people on and says stuff. And he's a comedian. And you know, this is not where you hope people are getting their medical advice. So I don't know. I guess I got mixed feelings about that. I, I worry about uh, getting too far into... I struggle with this one because I just feel like anytime we get to a place where people can't say stuff, I, I get worried. I, 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 how can we not agree with that? But on the other hand, people can say stuff that hurt other people, kill other people. And where is the place where we get together and you say, 
you you really can't say that because you're going to hurt so many people by saying that. So what can you do? Can you say it in a different way? Or if you don't believe this, you just want to make money. I, yeah, I agree. I'm. Yeah, I think it's part of that with him is it did seem to me like a sincere apology. Who knows? But it it felt that way to me. And I think the most offensive stuff was the racist slurs he was using, so nonchalantly and all that. But he, I mean, it, it just seemed to be a, a genuine apology to me. And I, I, I my feeling was that, like that wouldn't that he wouldn't be he wouldn't do that again. Time will tell. And then the yeah, the, like, okay. The, the COVID Maybe. stuff, I just felt like it, it, the COVID stuff's complicated because some of the people he brought on, they are experts in their own. And I, yeah, I just, I don't know enough about that to have a, a real strong, not enough to be how, like, I'm not going to use that platform. How, how about let's just wait and see. Yeah. Yeah. That's the way I felt. I didn't think I, I just. I think there should be consequences for people, no question. But I also think, I think we're in a place where it's, it, I think people have to be given a second chance if they, if they are apologetic. And I think people should be allowed to make mistakes. And mm -hmm. I think we're in a lot of trouble as a society and just it's debilitating and de devolving in a way if we can't make errors on our way to progress. And I guess I, I like to err on the side of too many voices and lots of voices, even if I find a lot of those really offensive, it's default. We had to have this conversation. It's, I think it's important. Yeah. What's that?